and this will be live streaming in a few minutes it should be starting any minute now this is about my umpteenth attempt but yes it seems like it's live right now how are you doing reverend morris here hope that you are doing well just want to share with you um another little time of encouragement this is a live stream um it's easier and i want to just jump into what i want to talk about this morning uh, so recently i was I'm doing the series Revelations, Revelation at the church that I passed. And I was looking at Revelation chapter 2, which deals with the whole issue of the church losing its first love, even though it was, you know, it's going through it was going through routines of having church. But the most important thing in any church being held, it is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And as we look in the text, I preached the text at the first church, and I just I was just preaching it right from Revelations chapter two, you know, the, to the letter in Ephesus. And you know, sometimes you're preaching a message, and really and truly, the message is so harsh that my God, it's it's just tough. It's a tough message. So um, I was thinking, I'm you know maybe I, I'm not going to stick with this Revelation thing. I'm going to try find something else. But then it still came to me that I still need to share the same letters to the seven churches in asia minor and so but when i went back to the, the the second church something else came to me said you don't have to preach it directly from revelation but use an illustration use some illustration to bring about the concept and the thought that came to me was the the story of michael and david now if you don't know who michael is because i'm live streaming this i won't put up the, i won't be able to put up the text but i'm going to read it to you so you can write it down she's first mentioned in first samuel 14 verse 49 as the daughter of saul right that's what we first hear about michael and then we hear about her again a few chapters later in first samuel 18 verse 20 where it is said that this daughter of saul loved david you know david was one of saul's um captains somebody who served in his army he would have been a popular fellow. And we are told that in 1 Samuel 18, verse 20. And when Saul heard about his daughter's love for David, he tried to leverage that love to get David um, killed by requiring, I think, a hundred foreskin of Philistines, right? So um, David should go out, kill a hundred Philistines, take the foreskin back as a bride price for his daughter. And of course, because David is anointed and God is with him, he easily accomplished the task and he gets to marry um, this lady. Now, after that, now we hear in 1 Samuel 19, 11 to 17, that Saul is now, he's not hiding anything. He's, he he want to kill David and he's not, he's not holding back. So he goes to the house, sends soldiers to the house to get David. And we hear that Michal would have, would have told them that David is sick so he can't come out. Later on, she would have helped him um, go down the side of the house by rope. And then later on would hear her again saying that confronting her father, when she's confronted by her father, she would say, boy, you know what, David held a sword to her throat and what could she do against David? And she actually blamed her father and say, you know what, you are the guy, you are the one who told me that I should marry him. But of course she was deceiving her father because there was some love that existed between David and Michal. And we talk about where has the love gone? And when we look at the church at Ephesus, and we look at Revelation chapter 2. Some of the things that were coming to my spirit is how something can start out so fervent, like the love between David and Michal. And then later on, we're going to find a very popular portion of scripture 
And many persons might not know that this is the same woman who was probably, according to my little, I haven't done a deep dive, but it appears she was his first wife, right? It appears she was the first wife. So later on, you know, some years later after David would have fled and he would have been all over the place, David would have accumulated a few more wives, right? So we know that he would have married Abigail, right? That Nabal's wife. And um, we know there are some others. I, I Forgive me. I didn't go through the process of gathering all their names. You can go and read it. Don't want to take away all of it from you. It's in First, first Samuel. And by Second Samuel, you're going to see some more of it. Now, we find out that when David is now going to be anointed as king in, 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 well, I don't have the text here. But when he's going to be anointed as king, we find that David is going to be asking that his wife, be given back to him. So when they want, when the men came after Saul's death and they said, hey, we wanted to be the king over Judah. One of David's requirements before he became king was that he wanted back his first wife. I wanted back Michal as his wife, you know, because by this point in the story, we find that Saul was so sure that he was going to kill David that he actually gave his daughter to another gentleman to be his, to be his wife because um, Saul was sure that he would have killed David. However, it is said that when Michal, Jewish history said that when Michal went to live with this individual, right, Laish, that's the name of the individual, L-A-I-S-H. When she went to live with him, Jewish history said that she had no sexual relationship with this new husband, right? And I'm guessing maybe she was waiting until she read that David was dead, but up until the point where... David returned. It, history said that she had no sexual relationship with this man. So she was keeping herself pure. Maybe she always believed that David would have come back and David would have, you know, like a knight in shining armor. So you can see that there was some genuine love between both of these individuals, right? David having put his life on the line for her, right? To go out and to bride price of 100 foreskin. Right. Um, that's that's putting a life on the line for a woman and for her to be doing the stuff that she was doing. So at some point in their relationship, we know there was there was some passion, there was some love that was there. And when we come to revelation, if you just look at it like uh, um God and us, then you might we might lose something when we if we don't realize that we were made in the image and likeness of God and a lot of the attributes that we have. It is actually coming from God. It's what we Bible, what theologians describe as the communicable attributes of God. That means there are things that God, there are characteristics that God possesses that we possess. Now we are not omniscient, right? We are not omnipotent, but we can love and we can feel loved, right? We can feel love and we can give love. And that's an attribute that we receive from God or Father. And just like God our Father, I think God Himself can say when, you know, yeah, the love now that it used to be, right? We're not reading the word like we ought to be reading the word. We're not praying like we ought to be praying. That zeal and that passion for God, it's not as it used to be. Other things can come in and it can take over the 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 the, the, the place that God should have in our life. And it's interesting enough when you read the story. It's not, it's not there clearly. But what we're going to find out is that by the time David comes back to ask for his wife, as I said before, he already has some so a couple of wives, right? So there's a couple of wives there. So that 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 thing, that special thing that 
existed at first between this woman and David is somehow, it's not the same. It's not the same as it would have been before he went fleeing from Saul. Because you know he had, as a, had, he has other wives, so he can compare the other wives to her. Maybe she had some, you know, she grew up in a rich home. Her, her father was king. So maybe she's this pampered person, um, etc., etc. So she's just used to a certain type of lifestyle. But maybe if David compare her to like a Abigail who would be out in the wilderness, you know, she just, whatever they have to eat, she just eat it. She could ride horse. She could, you know, she could, she could help manage the place. So I'm going to assume that there are other persons there. Maybe there would be nights when he would be calling for other wives. Right, you'd be calling for other wives, and she would now know that she, she she's not exclusive in this relationship. And we find that the story now comes to a, comes to um comes to a point. I'm not going to say it's the exact last time her she's mentioned, but one of the the more significant points she's mentioned is when David is bringing the Ark of the Covenant back up to the city of Jerusalem. So he goes and he's taking the Ark from um he's taking the Ark from where Saul had left it. And he's now bringing it up to where he lives. So it will be closer to him. So he's moving the tabernacle and bringing it closer to where he lives. And says that he tried it the first time. It didn't work out. Because we know the story of Yuza. He stretched out his hands, touched the ark, he died. And the second time he's bringing up the ark again. And this time he's jumping, he's shouting, he's worshipping, he's doing all that he can do as he's bringing the ark of the covenant back up to Jerusalem. And it is said that this same woman... Michal, his first wife, looks out, see him dancing. And apparently, the story doesn't make it very clear. I think if you're just reading it in the Bible, but apparently she confronts him publicly about his display, right? She doesn't, it seems like, um, you know, the commentaries that I've read said she, she doesn't wait until he's by himself. She go and say to him, she kind of confront him. I think before she goes into the house, she come out and say, oh, you're, you're dancing and gallivanting in front of the young women. You're dancing and showing off yourself for the young women to see you. And we hear that David now, of course, he, he, he rebukes her and said, you know what, um, don't, don't, don't say these things to me because look here, your father was rejected by God. I am now being received by God. Your father, one commentary said, your father wasn't humble before God. So I'm going to be as humble and as, as, as debased as I can be to honor God. I'm going to make myself nothing so that I can honor God. And the story ends up with it being said that she died without um, bearing any for David. And I'm going to say that's a tragic story. It's a tragic story. If you read it, if it, if you read it out of the context of knowing her entire life and their entire history, that's a tragic story for something that started out the way it started out, right? That's tragic. That's tragic. That's real tragic that they come to this point that after all David went through to have her in the first place, after all she went through to protect David, one of the last accounts that we hear about her is that, well, she's going to die and she's not going to have any children. And I want to say a couple of things in regards to this. And I'm going to jump from her using her as the main focus and using David as the main focus. I want to say that when we look at it, we, she is she, in the text, she's kind of like a Christ. I know many times people preach the message and they preach it about this woman and, you know, them try to say, oh, I'm going to be even more undignified. Like there's songs that being so. But if you look at it from this woman's point of view, you know, if you look at it clearly from her point of view, you can see she's carrying some issues because her problem was not David dancing, but her problem was 
the women that was in David's life. Because she never just said, David, you're dancing and make a fool of yourself. She made it specific that you're dancing before the young ladies. And I think she had some issues, right? I'm going to tell you straight off the bat. I think she was carrying issues because of where she was in the pecking order. It was some issues and it was going to come up at some point in the future. And I'm going to say that maybe like Michael, Jesus sometimes sees some things but him not necessarily say it the first day, right? Him not necessarily say it the first day, like, hmm, all right, cool. Let me see where this is going. And of course, he's omniscient, so you know I'm adding some humanity to what, what I'm saying about him. But as, as, as it progresses, we find that the letter to the church at Ephesus, I don't think that, okay, or yesterday they left the first love, and Jesus like, oh, you left it last night, come, hold that letter here. Or, you, you left the first love this morning, hmm, I see you left it, I'm omniscient, so I know just when you leave it, hmm, hold this letter. I think, of course, it's, it's, it's been there for a while, and God is expecting them to catch up themselves and realize, hey, you know, you're just going through the motion. He's expecting them to kind of come to themselves after a while. And I believe it, it, it's a lot of it is illustrated in the story. Because if we believe that the entire Bible is a depiction of Jesus Christ and hidden in every story, there is a message of Jesus Christ. I believe in the story because men read the story and we are going to just look at it. We're not going to see what this woman is going through and what she would have. She would have put her life on the line, you know. When she tell King Saul, say, listen, man, David put a sword to my head. A lie she's telling her. She's telling a lie in order to protect herself. But the love that she has for David, the love that she has for him, she's willing to put her, she's putting her neck on the block for her husband. Because at this point, the story seems, it, of course, they're exclusive. You read the story, they're exclusive. There was no other woman in David's life at that point. And, and the fact that Jewish historians have it to say that she did not sleep with this gentleman by the name of, of, of Laish. And I believe she didn't. I believe if she was sleeping with this man and she had a child, David would not call back for her. I don't think David would call back for her. I believe it was known both publicly that she's not sleeping with this man. And I believe the man make it known publicly. Because Jewish history said that it was made public knowledge that they were not sleeping with each other. Because, of course, as I said, don't want to go back over that. As long as David is not dead, David can come back. And also the man probably knows that David is a bad man. David killed Goliath and as much as Saul is trying to kill him, he's not dying, right? Saul didn't get rid of, get rid of him. So I'm going to assume that this man is saying, you know, just in case David come back, the last thing I want is this man come and say, oh, I take his wife and have sexual relationship with him. But on a more serious note, yes, this is, this is where we're at in the story that she's confronting him. Because she's no longer exclusive. The love, she's not first place. David has left. He hasn't lost her. She's not in Egypt. She wasn't taken away by um, um, Midianites heading to, to Egypt or some other strange place. He's just, she's right there, right there. But just other things are there that have, have placed her maybe not at first place in the picking order. Maybe, you know, maybe he's trying to be diplomatic so he calls every wife once a week to ensure that all of his wives, because it's not like he had a million like Solomon, but he had a couple of wives, right? So he may be calling each of them every now and then to make sure, say, you know, you have the love going around, right? The love is going around and everybody can feel happy. But when, it, when you look into the depths of the text, when you look into the depths of the text, we can come, we can, if we look through her eyes, which we hardly ever see, we can see that this is a woman that is hurting because she has lost her place as the first love. And obviously, she's carrying the burden like any women in modern society, right? We can we can say what we want to say about um about um those days, but I'm telling you, women were severely being oppressed by some of these practices that you know some of us as men um 
would say, well, maybe if I don't know. But um, now that I'm married, of course not. Never. God forgive me, I'm since. But I mean, yeah, I mean, those things we know that women were severely um disenfranchised of 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 their dignity in certain type of lifestyle, right? Um, but the truth is that she would have she would have experienced some level of hurt and frustration, and I think it came out in that moment. And I'm going to explain something very, very profound out of this story. Now, we need to understand something. Why is it that this happened? Why is it that David and um, this lady just came to this point also? Why they couldn't just work it out? Why she didn't have a happy ending? Why, why was that she had to be sacrificed in terms of the fact that she's going to go through this, go to her grave without having any children after all she has been to? I'm going to tell you one of the main reasons. And this is something people need to understand. Whenever it is that we are going to go back and try to restore our relationship with God, a lot of persons think that when Jesus said, listen, return back to your first love, the story just ends there. If we don't look at patterns in the Bible of what people go through whenever they are trying to draw closer to God, we won't realize that there is severe spiritual warfare that comes up against us anytime we seek to draw closer to God. And anytime we seek to build back a relationship, especially when we feel like we are far from God, you're not just going to walk up on God, just get up and, oh, you know, I'm far from God. I'm just get up tomorrow when the relationship is mended. But no, the devil from hell is going to rise up to ensure that that is going to be a difficult task. And he's going to use whatever avenues Whoever makes themselves available, whatever he sees that is an issue, he's going to capitalize on it in, in order for the focus to be missed when it comes to drawing close to the Lord. So I'm going to skip from Michael now and look at David. So I'm going to look at David because while I was preparing this message, right, the thought came to me because I realized a lot of time people say, boy, the Lord, tell me. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of moving away from that. And let me hear precisely clear, clear like I've done in past. I'm going to say that it came to my mind because I have a renewed mind and we have this mind that is in Christ Jesus. doesn't necessarily mean that it was Jesus who told me. You have a mind, you have intelligence to read the Bible, you can make discernments and you can make, you, you have understanding. So I'm going to say this thought came to me and it came to me from Ephesians 6 verse 12, I think. I think it's Ephesians 6 verse 12 I'm quoting from. I, I could be off. But it says, we rest not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, Rulers of wickedness, spiritual, in, rulers of wickedness in heavenly places, and and etc. etc. I'm not quoting it verbatim. I know there's about four things, and I always kind of mix them up. But you know what I'm talking about. We are fighting spiritual forces. We're not fighting against people. You're not fighting against your wife. David and Michael are fight against. There are spiritual forces that are at work. And what what has done on me is that the minute David made up in his mind that he's going to bring the Ark of the Covenant back up to um, where he was living, the city of David, there's going to be some problems. The first time he tried, Jusa died, right? All right, so yeah, he died. Okay, so oh, that was just an accident, you know what? The man just did the thing, I rub off of the car, him stretch out the man, him die. I don't know, big deal that. I don't know, we're not going to demonize that. that, that just, those things just happen. Yeah, it just happened. All right, cool. The second time he's trying to bring up the ark. Now, let's just... Just look at, look at this. When David was going to his bed that night, what do you think was the thing that dominated his thoughts? That was it. You think he dominated his thoughts? That oh, me get the ark of the covenant back up and boy, I'm just feel so good. Or dominating thought? Imagine one Michael now he's in a man. 
imagine me come up here and at this. Why why them woman stays? You know, say better me they had left her down by Likash house. I'm going to assume that that there were mixed emotions at the end of the day due to the fact that he had an outburst with his first wife, right? I believe that there was conflicts. I believe there was the focus was shifted from the ark being up there. So, so even though it was there, other issues just arise with just like uh, like it's a, like it's a smoke grenade. You can't see the thing. We can only focus on the smoke. The smoke is toxic. The smoke can take over the environment. Long and short of it is this: his attempt to draw closer to God cost him his first wife. His attempt and. We need to understand that in David's day, David and the people of Israel were not equipped to fight spiritual battles. They, if you're fighting Canaanites, you kill Canaanites because you don't have the authority to deal with the spirits behind the Canaanites. So if, if Goliaths come up, you kill Goliath, right? If Amorites come up, you kill Amorites. You kill whoever is there, the physical manifestation. What, that, what Satan is working through, that is what you deal with because they had no authority to deal with spirits. However, in this day and age, we need to understand something. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood. And anybody who is far from the Lord, you're going to come up against challenges as you seek to draw closer to God. And those challenges can sometimes seem like it might be your marriage. Sometimes those challenges might seem like it might be your job. Sometimes those challenges can be like it seems like your kids. Whenever it is that you're joined close to God, something else or other things start to manifest in order to derail the purpose for which you sought, you were seeking after God. And just like David, I believe that there were spiritual forces because the Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Me, David, don't argue with Michael. It's not Michael. It's something else that whispered those thoughts in her mind. Look on the one David in my dance. Eh? When he used to dance like that for you, Oh, where has the love gone? So there are some things that are influencing her thoughts that she can't see the big picture, right? She, her focus shift from the big picture. Or her focus, she, she's so frustrated that instead of dealing with the issue behind the scenes where maybe it could have been fixed, uh, the tradition has that she dealt with it right there in the big old dirty public. So we realize that the enemy who probably would have known Mikal's frustration no, because the enemy don't need Michael to tell them, say, listen, you are once the only woman in his life. I know you're in a harem without one bag of woman. And you just pack up in this place sometimes. David might not even be calling her, right? So why she leave? And she had her husband by herself before. The enemy must know those things. The enemy is not a dunce. The enemy don't need to be omniscient to figure out human personality. Because you have, you have persons who are trained in the CIA to check body language, understand body language, um, not only you, 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 the pitch, your tone when you're responding to question and answer. If humanity can have the intelligence to figure that out, I think demons can know when people feel frustrated and all of these things are happening and are able to capitalize on it by, by just injecting a few negative thoughts in a person's mind. All with the idea that David is not going to bring up this arc and focus on the arc. He's not going to bring it back. Now, how do we tie this into Revelation chapter Two. Now, of course, we say, yes, Christ is like a Michael. As we go through life, we're accumulating things and a lot of things start to take, want to take over the place that Jesus should have. Abraham, as he went through life, accumulated wealth. He accumulated that child and Jesus came and said, hey, let me check out and see where this child is. Uh, where am I on the ranking with this child? Am I up top or am I beneath? And we see how that story would have ended with Abraham would have chosen 
um, the Lord God Almighty as the champion of his life. Now, let me just jump over a bit and say this. If you are ever going to find yourself in right standing with God, if you're ever going to find yourself in right standing with God, you are going to have to be intentional. And what do I mean by this? Because sometimes persons have drifted. We drift from our first love, but we don't realize that in order for it to be built back, there has to be some intentionality to it. Now, you're not going to just get up. If you stop praying, you weren't reading the Bible and we're not putting Jesus at the place where he ought to be. You're not just going to get up tomorrow and just find back that routine. That routine has to start from a place of weakness. It has to start from where you are. Because if you lose your first love, it's a weak place. That's not a strong place. That's not an anointed place. That is a weak place. And in order for you to find back God, you have to start from a weak place. So it's not going to be intuitive. It's not going to be automatic. It's not going to be something that you're just doing it. Um, As I said, it becomes a habit. You're not habitually serving God with your prayer life, with your Bible life. So it has to start from a weak place. And because you're weak, it won't be ingrained in your uh, habits to do the things that build up the spirit man. What's going to be ingrained is the usual things. This, not the other things, that's going to be what's going to be ingrained in the heart and the mind as one proceeds to try to say, hey, I'm going to revive my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I can tell you, there are tons of people all over the world who would seek to have a revival with the Lord. There are maybe millions of persons will get up and say, you know, I'm far from where I once was with Jesus. And they have a mindset to restore the relationship but they are not intentional. Now, what do I mean by intentional? If you know you ain't reading your Bible and praying, you can't just leave it to chance that to some time throughout the day, you're going to find time to read the Bible and pray. That is not going to work. You have to start by scheduling some time where you're saying intentionally, 5.30, I'm going to get up and I'm going to pray. Intentionally, 7 o'clock, I'm going to try to see if I get, can get into the Word. And I would suggest to you to, to systematically mark it down. Because what you want to do, you want to create back the habit Till it becomes habitual, till it becomes a practice. You, you, so it almost a start from the flesh to the spirit. It's almost starting from the flesh to the spirit because you want to recreate that environment where it's just natural. We're just reading the Bible naturally. We're just worshiping God naturally. We're just praying naturally. But if you are in a dry place and Jesus said, you know, you need to find back your first love. It's not just something that's going to happen. Somebody has to be intentional. And it's just like in any relationship. If we talk about David and Michal, I'm sure if they wanted to fix it, which apparently was never fixed, because I'm wondering if David called her back. I said she, she never had any child. So I'm wondering if he called her back or when she left, he never called her back to any intimate time. Or maybe then just never intimate anymore. He had other options. Maybe, you know, we don't know what was on David's mind. I think he was over 37 at that time when he was made king over Judah. So, he, you know, he would have had some options as to some things that he could have done. Right? And, and this wall is falling down. But anyway, let's move on. But the truth of the matter is, that if they wanted to fix it, there had to be some level of intentionality. Some There had to be some level of intentionality. Somebody had to be drawing closer, making the decision to draw closer. Hey, we're going to go, go eat some food next week. Go buy some ice cream. Let's sit down and talk about this thing. It's not going to... You're not going to fall back in love. I mean, even in the natural, you're not going to fall back in love. Yeah, yeah, somebody have to put some effort into it. There's some effort that the parties have to put in it. I would say, of course, in the text, Jesus is extending his 
olive branch and say, hey, let's let's see if we can start this thing back out. But humanity also has to be intentional in how it is that we're going to seek to serve God and to love God the way we ought to love him. We ought to love him. And I say, you have to be intentional. You have to be intentional with the word life. You have to be intentional with the prayer life. You have to be intentional with the things that give God the honor and the glory. So there are some things you have to put on, right? And a revival can never start without prayer because Second Chronicles 7, 14 says, if my people are called by my name, will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. So there are things you have to put on. So praying, without praying, you can never have revival without praying. So you have to find time to pray. And when he says seek his face, I'm going to assume that that also means that you have to spend time in the word. Because where can we seek God's face more than through his word? So you have to be intentional about the word. So there are things you put on and there are things you have to take off. Now, of course, the taking off, for me, I believe there's a lot of simple things that can destroy or begin to affect the relationship a person have between themselves and God. Now, one of the simple things can be like time on YouTube. Now, I'm going to give you that. And I say, oh, you're on YouTube. So why are you telling us um, time on YouTube? Are you, are you saying we should turn off it? No, what I'm saying to you is that this, is this, that you, I believe that when you're in a good space with God, when you're really a click with God, you can, you can add information to the information you're already learning in private. So you read in the Bible. Let's say you read in the Bible, you read uh, Matthew chapter 15, and you're reading about the woman at Canaan, the Canaanite woman, which I was reading earlier. So I can read it, and I, I glean some information from it. And I say, hey, you know what? Let me see another perspective. And maybe you're too lazy to go, <laughs> go read a book, but you want to just jump on something and just hear somebody's perspective. So you go and you type in Matthew 15, whatever the verses are for, for that text. And you hear somebody else's, um declaration about it and say okay no that's kind of what i that's kind of what i was at oh, i never thought about that before like when i was reading it i was saying you know i didn't realize that we were still canaanites during the time of jesus guys it's specifically it was a canaanite woman so canaanites were still there right um but the long and short of it is when you are but that is when you are strong that is when you already have your own study life your own prayer life so these things come as secondary tools and not primary tools so YouTube becomes a secondary tool. It becomes a support, a supplement. It's not a supplement because it supplements sound like you're taking something else. But it becomes something that comes alongside what you're doing. It comes alongside the primary, the, pri the primacy of the world. It comes alongside it. But what happens a lot of times people are weak, but then they start watching more YouTube videos. YouTube videos can only help you thus far, right? It helps you thus far. And most YouTube videos, if, if they are accurate and good, is going to be pointing you back to the word and to prayer. If, if you're watching the YouTube videos and all these persons are saying, boy, you need to tune in and, oh, you know, you need to tune in and you're getting some good message here and this is good soil. You need to feed from this good. That YouTube video is not, it can't help you forever. You're going to stop watching them. You're going to find somebody else. Your, 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 appet your spiritual appetite will change. The person you were watching six months ago, you're going to stop watching them and watch somebody else. You're going to change from prophetic. And then after you change from prophetic, you're going to change to word. Then you're going to change from word to worship. You're just going to be all over the place because we were not made to live off youtube videos these things are blessings to people who who are maintaining their personal relationship with god their personal prayer time their personal word time so there are some things we might need to put off so in order to
Anyway, you know, I'm not going to take this out. I'm not going to take this out of this YouTube video. I don't know if I said something and this thing is doing a voice call, but that's that's how the enemy is. Anytime I'm doing these videos, some crazy thing. I'm, I'm not taking it out. I'm not taking it out. Let it stay. I'm going to see if somebody answers. Yes. So YouTube videos, and as I'm saying, YouTube videos, right? I hope this thing goes viral, right? I don't. Anybody's going to sit down and listen to this thing for thirty Five, plus minutes. Eight, seven, six, nine, nine, I've never seen anything like this in all my life. I think it's repeating what I said. I'm making some call out, but I'm not going to stop it. I'm going to keep on chucking on. Yes, right. So it, it, it the, the YouTube videos can come alongside to help. So if you're reading your Bible, fine, jump on the channel. But I have to say, good. That ain't nothing wrong with that. However, if 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 not, if not, you know what? I think this corner look too dark. I think the devil don't want me to set up these these videos. But you watch me on him. You know, stop I. <laughs> anyway, where am I? Where was I? Yeah, so if YouTube video must come alongside reading the word, you have to spend time with it. And what I start to do, I don't have my little phone with me, but what I have, I have an app on my phone where I um I time how long I'm reading it. Because I want to reach the part where I'm reading the word and I don't need to time it. But I know I want to spend time in the word. I'm not talking about spending time in a book. I'm talking about spending time in the word, the sincere milk of the word. So as I close off this, this very, very um, disrupted video, the walls falling down, the phone's ringing out. I just want to encourage you, find time to get in the word, right? Find time to get in the word. There's no substitute for the word. There is no substitute for the word. There's no substitute for time in prayer. And for me personally, I think the best times when I get up early in the morning, um, get up early in the morning, find some time, get on that word, find some time, start your day in prayer. And once you do these things, I think you will be effective. You'll be successful as a child of God. Anyway, God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Cormor is saying, stay blessed until I see you again.